Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the UMass Football Show. I am joined, as always, by Sean Oldred. This time we are over Zoom. Sean, how are we doing? Very good, Kyle. Excited to talk about some UMass sports. Exciting to talk. And we actually have a special guest with us. Now, Sean, I got to ask, do you have a Super Bowl ring? I do not. Unfortunately, I, do. I don't. I, contrary to popular belief, I do not either. But... Our guest today actually does have one, also a former UMass wide receiver, two-time All-A-10, two seasons in, in the CFL with the Mont- with Montreal. You can now catch him as the official on-air personality of the New York Giants. Ladies and gentlemen, Brandon London. Brandon, how are you doing today? Man, all's well, man. I got, I, got, I got the Super Bowl and Grey Cup, man. I got me a Grey Cup up in the CFL, man. And uh, and uh, to update that resume, I, I'm doing the TV with the, with the Giants and uh, the New York Post and SNY down here, down in uh, in uh, New York City. So had to add to that resume there. But thank you guys for having me on. UMass, what's up, baby? Antonio's hot cheese out front. I remember it like it was yesterday. Antonio, that's the best. That's the best spot right there. That's the spot I always go to. But let's get right into it. Don Brown, former former coach of yours, now taking the reins again. I mean, how excited are you as a former player to see him back at UMass? And, like, what do you see him bringing to this program? Well, I mean, when we all we all kind of heard the speculation. We've all kind of called for it for a long time. We've been wanting uh, UMass to bring him back. You know, we didn't want to be too loud about it because we're going to respect the coaches that they had already in place at the time. But if you're a guy who's played for Don Brown, you know, you see guys like Cliff Bolden, you see guys like Marcel Shipp, James Ahedebo, Everyone has nothing but great things to say about him, not only as a coach, but a leader, but as a man as well. So Coach Brown, man, I attribute a lot of my a lot of my success to him because he helped get me on a on a on a straight path. You know, when he came in and when he and Coach Duds and and Coach Ben Albert and that whole regime came in, we were used to whip where it was like, all you got to do is go ball. You know, you, you go ball out. Coach Whit was like, you know, go, you know, go do what you want in that sense. So when coach Brown came in and he was all structured and it was, you got to wear this, this sweatshirt with this for this workout and all that. We were just like, man, who, who is this guy, man? Who, you know, who is this guy? But it was one of those things, man, where you just learn that not only is he, he, he no nonsense, he's the real deal as well. And he became a guy that we just looked at, like, who is this guy to, I wish I could play for a guy like this for the rest of my football career. So, and, uh, and just really quickly, uh, a story, it's, it's my birthday, October 16th, I believe 2004, we're playing at uh, UNH that, that year. I think it's my sophomore year. And um, I'm getting into it with the UNH players all the time. And one of the refs, one of the Don Brown, Coach Brown, and he's like, get, you know, get number four. You better get him because if he keeps on, I'm going to kick him out. Coach Brown came to me, man. He was yelling at me and all in my face and all. And I like, I lift my helmet up. And I'm like looking at him like, you know, just being, just, just being an a-hole. And I go to spit on the ground and it hits his shoe. Oh, and he goes, did you just fucking spit on me? <laughs> I mean, like he was, he was so upset. He was like, get over there. He's like, you'll never play again. And like deep down inside, I'm like, I'm like, when keeping it real goes wrong, like here I go trying <laughs> to be cool, and I just spit on the spit on the head coach's shoe. So I'm sitting there, 
something happens where they needed they needed me out there on punt. And I'm like sitting there, I got my arms crossed. I'm pounding. They're like, London, get out there on punt. I'm like, I'm not going out there. I'm not. I think it was like JJ Moore or uh, Dominique Stewart. One of them came up to me. It's like, London, man, get over. Like, they just, they get over yourself, man. Get in the game. So I went out there on punt or whatever. And I came back in, and Coach Brown was like, Are you ready to play? Are you ready to stop being selfish and play for your team? I'm like, Yeah, coach. Yeah, coach. Went in. I think I had like, uh, I think I had like nine catches, like a hundred something. I, I forget. You got to go look at that stat from my sophomore year against at UNH. Um, and we beat them. Steve Baylard got the, he got the, uh, whatever that, that trophy is for that game and stuff like that. But I always remember that, man. And I think that was the moment. Oh yeah. And then after the game, we're all jumping around, you know, he's doing this funny little dance. We're jumping around and he goes, and that it's at the end of the breakdowns. Blah, 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 and he goes, Brandon London. And everybody stopped <laughs> to look. I'm like, damn, I'm about to get cursed out. He goes, I effing love you. And we all like, ah. <laughs> that right there. He had me. He had me. Was that the maddest you've seen him when he when he's still uh, on the shoe? Absolutely. Absolutely. Not. <laughs> I, absolutely not. I've seen that guy's face turn red like the mad emoji before, man. <laughs> it was probably something else I probably did. But, you know, I tell him all the time when I do get a chance to see him or when he sees my brother who coaches football, somewhere i always tell uh, i i apologize for the gray hairs but i always thank him for uh helping me become the man that i am today brandon you you've seen winning culture kind of throughout your football career you mentioned the super bowl ring the gray cup you know you've been played under some legendary coaches tom coughlin your father obviously a legendary coach in his own right what's how important is it to like establish that winning culture in your program and how does don brown do that in round two with the minimum well, you got to step in right away and you got to let guys know that this is a new regime and you got to let guys know that, you know, you're it's it's whatever your approach is, whether it's not no nonsense approach, whether it's, you know, kind of allowing players to kind of be themselves, police themselves kind of approach. I've always felt like you got to step in and 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 set the core rules, though. We're not going to do this. We're not going to have that like Coach Brown. No. No breakfast in the locker room after 7 a.m. You know, no food in the locker room after 7 a.m. So if someone came in at 7.01, 7.03, 7.05, he, he didn't have to say anything. James Ahedabo, Dave Thompson, Alex Miller, they jump in. Me, myself, Steve Baylor, we jump in and be like, yo, Go outside, go outside with that, you know, go, you know, it smells good because it's from the D.C. I love our D.C. <laughs> up there. But go outside with that. And it's like, it's the same thing, whether it be, um, you know, the rules you have for your team on the field, off the field, in the dorms or whatever. You set that culture and you, you abide by that culture and you get everyone to buy in. Then as a coach, you don't have to worry about yelling at guys and all that much. That's what your seniors are for. That's what the locker room committee or council is for in that sense. So I, he did a great job. My father's done Tom Coughlin, uh, Mark Tressman. They've all those coaches, successful coaches that I've played for and been around. They've all done a great job of kind of laying the law down early, being, res being respectful and, 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 be and being personable to where the players are like, you know what? Coach shouldn't have to say X, Y, or Z. It's on us to police the locker room and lay these laws down. When you talked about when, like you say, with the seniors, with the breakfasts, things like that, how long does that take to kind of build up? 
Like, because obviously that doesn't happen from day one out. Yeah, I think uh, when he came in, I think it took him, I think it really took him a year and a half for that light to click on with our squad. Again, you know, no knock on uh, 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 Coach Whip, Mark Whipple. He's just, he was just a different cat. He was just a different type of coach. You know, he's on Coach Whipple's like, no, we're going to air, we're going to, we just, we're going to air it out. We're going to do this. You're going to ball. You're going to be productive. And then it was like, you know, when you left, our senior leadership and all at that time, everybody, we was just so cool. You know, we all wanted to be, we, everybody wanted to be cool then. But when coach Brown came in, it took him a little bit and he had, we had guys transfer. They got guys up out of there and we had problems with, with, you know, coach Dud and coach Moore, Morsey and Morris and all when they came in, cause we was like, man, who are these dudes? Like, like who are these dudes? But once they gained our respect and we earned their respect, Cause we didn't go to the playoffs. What the first two years he came. So I think it was like not going to the playoffs my sophomore year, then losing the Hofstra 2005, I believe to not go to the playoffs that year where we were just like, all right, we've been doing it. We've been trying to do it our own way for the last two years, our senior class, the Charles walkers, the head of bowls and all those guys, we were like, look, if this is, this is the last, this is our last dance. You know, we might as well, we got to buy in now. And we've all bought in from, you know, from after that game to the, those winter workouts and all that, we all bought in. And it was just a different, we just operated completely different. You know, and that's why we went on the run we went on. You talk a lot about the different UMass memories. And I don't know, it's going to be hard to top that Don Brown story you told before with the spin on the shoe. But if there's one memory that kind of sticks out to you from your time at UMass, what would that be? Uh, you know, I could throw out the four touchdowns against Towson. I could throw in the game winner against UNH in the playoffs and semi in, the, in that fi- semifinals or whatever to stick it to Ricky Santos and David Ball and <laughs> Chip Kelly. No, nah, but I think I think one of the biggest memories is it's a collection of memories all into one. I, it's that spring ball my leading into my senior year. So spring ball, I'm a junior going into my senior year. Um, so spring 2006, where, I mean, we grinded it out that spring ball. I've never been a part of such a fit. We were, we were physical, but we were smart. Every, there was never anyone not on time. I think we had the least amount of penalties in the spring ball that we had had, but after those games, and then we had it to where no one was going out the night before spring practices and all that, we nipped that in the bud real quick. Just like we nipped in the bud, and there was no going out on Thursday Thursdays before games. <laughs> we used to we had a problem with guys going out on Thursdays before uh, before games, especially big games and stuff. But it would be after that practice, we would all hop into somebody's car, go you know different people different cars. We go get a bunch of different bunch of kegs, a bunch of food, and we would grill, cook out, and have a party in the backyard at the football house over in our briar briarwood or whatever. I forget. It's, it's like behind Sylvan or whatever that far, that freaking far. Yep. At, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, whatever dorm that is, that's super far. That no the one knows. Door, yeah. <laughs> Sylvan door. Yeah. Like it was behind that, off that road, that back road back there. And then you 84 briarwood or something like that. I'll always remember those me- memories, man. You had, you had, country guys you had black dudes from florida you have dudes from all over different walks of life dudes from massachusetts and new, new england 
and we were all just like that. We were just hanging out, playing beer pong, flip cups. And it just, we, we changed the game right there. We became a brotherhood right there after those like weekend spring practices. Nice, you know, when it gets nice in Amherst. And Beautiful we would have spring. the backyard. Everyone would be in the backyard and it'd turn into a party that night and all. And it's not to say like, hey, look, guys, we party, we did this. But different teams, different organizations, they have different bonding, bonding, uh, uh, not requirements, but different ways to bond, like different things that people do to, to get people to come together. And I think that was it. That was it right there, man. We all, we, we all became close. And like to this day, guys like Ryan Logan, Brad Anderson, Matt Austin, all those guys, man, those, they're my brothers for life, you know, and because of moments like that. There really isn't anything better than the spring in Amherst, though. It is, it is the best time of year. Best, best. And it doesn't even have to be technically spring. As soon as it, as soon as the sun comes out, the horseshoe is packed. <laughs> Everyone hanging out at the horseshoe, you know, but just moments like that, man, like, and I, you know, I, I hope Coach Brown, you know, brings me around the program, you know, so I can keep talking to these guys where it's like, you know, you got, you get caught up in school and class and all this. I understand that, but take the time to really like sit and look like, yo, this is going to be my brother for the rest of my life. JJ Moore is my brother for the Rasheed Rancher is my brother for the rest of my life. Liam Cohen, so proud of what he's doing right now. And all we look at Victor Cruz, we look, we all look at each other and it's never been like a competition. It's a healthy competition in the sense of, you push me, I push you, but we're only doing it. We're only doing it to congratulate each other and to tell each other like, Hey, remember when you doubted yourself or remember you couldn't, or you couldn't get this gig or you didn't get that job or whatever. You got cut from this team. Look at you now, you know? So I will always tell these guys when I see them, like stay in the moment, stay in the now, think about your future, but stay in the now because these are relationships that you're building for the rest of your life. You mentioned spring practice a little bit and how, you know, much of a bonding experience that was. UMass has kind of gone viral with the mat room videos um, from a few weeks ago. Can you explain to like our listeners what the mat room is and how important that is to Don Brown's whole philosophy? I mean, the mat room is like, is, is Vegas and Amherst, you know, what, what goes down in the mat room, you know, stays in the mat room, but I'll give you a little, it was like, to us, it was just, it was something to where it was like, not so much players versus coaches. It was a thing where it was like, y'all not going to break us, bro. Like coach Brown, you can, you can hit the mat as many times as you want for us to flip, roll, jump, get in con- condition and all that. You're not going to break us. And we used to have this thing, me and James Ahedable, because James Ahedable, man, I'm so proud of that guy. He's one of the hardest workers I've ever seen in my life. We used to push each other like crazy. There used to be three lines when we had to line up right outside the mat room. I don't know what Boyden looks like now, you know, whatever that wrestling mat room looks like now, but it'd be three lines and we'd be, we'd lined up and he'd open the door at like, I don't know, 5.45 a.m. or 5 a.m., whatever it is, he'd open it up. He, we had to get our lines, even the lines out. But me and James ahead of both, our line, it was a sacred line. We weren't just letting anyone into our line because we knew Coach Duds, we knew uh, Coach Morris, uh, uh, Coach Morris, those guys, they were going to try and break us because he knew we were the hard workers. So somebody would come in and be like, nah, nah, we would trade. We would be like, if uh, let's say Charles Walker or somebody else was the leader of another line. We'd be like, yo, take, 
you give me them, you give me them, I give you these two, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And we, we traded out like it was the NBA trade deadline or whatever. And right when he opened up that door, everyone's mindset just, just completely changed. And he, our, our uh, mantra, our, our motto that year was leave earth. And he would always say that, leave earth, leave earth. Because it's like, you're not, you're, 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 you're not in your body. You're physically not in your body right now. I need you to remove yourself from any feelings you have right now, anything that's going on in your world right now. Right now, it's for the guys. You're, they say no I in team, but if I make myself better, the team becomes better. So it was one of those moments. And Coach Dud used to try and break us. <laughs> but he couldn't do it. Me and the head of but we'd be flipping, rolling, and we'd be tired, but we'd still be jumping around like, let's go, let's go. And I'm telling you, it was the that, that's where the coach, that's where I, I imagine I want to ask Coach Brown, and you should when you guys interview him, like, when did you feel as though you flipped the culture on the team? Because I think that mat room and how we responded to them trying to break us, I think that was the moment when he was like, you know what? We got something because we had the talent. That was no problem. We were talented across the board. But I think he was, I think that was the moment where he was like, you know what? It's not just the individual fingers now. We're we're a fist now. So make sure you ask him that when you guys get a chance. You think you can do the mat room today? Man, hell no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I don't I don't I don't do Planet Fitness today, and I got a Planet <laughs> Fitness membership. I got an LA Fitness membership, and I'm sitting there. I just finished work, and I'm sitting here like, damn, I got to go work out. And it's crazy because, like, again, that's another thing I tell some of these athletes. It's like you're putting your body, you're going through this, and, like, you enjoy it. You love it. Like, waking up at 5 a.m. for us was nothing. We used to, like, meet down at uh, at the bottom of Kennedy or something or, or, or JQA or whatever and walk over together and together as a group and love it. Like, yeah, you hated it, but you love it. Now my alarm clock goes off at 5.30 to work out. I'm like, man, I'll throw my phone across <laughs> the daggone room telling me to get up at 5.30. So, nah, I couldn't do it right now, but if you ask me to, I was I still got enough rah rah in me to to fake it till I made it. Five thirty, man. I can't even get up at eight thirty for classes right now. But uh, <laughs> switching gears a little bit, um, you say on air correspondent for the Giants. How cool is it that you're able to still connect with the team that you've won that Super Bowl with, and you still are around the team and around the culture? It's a blessing, man. Because you got to think about it, and you know, again, as Coach Brown. I was a knucklehead, man. I was a knucklehead all through high school, a, a lot of a lot through college, and the light clicked on late for me, you know, in a sense, to where it was like walk this straight and narrow. So, you know, I had some red flags behind my name coming out of college, but the fact that the Giants, uh, Mike Sullivan was the receiver coach at the time, came up and worked me out during my pro day. We had lunch, watched film together, and all, and then you know, draft day came the second, the third day of it. They uh, that's when he called. They called in the seventh round and was he was like, "Look, we may not draft you, but we want to. I'm fighting. I'm bringing you in for an undrafted free agent. So if you think about it, they gave me my start in football. And then when I retired from the CFL prematurely and uh, fell on my face out in, in Hollywood, uh, it took me like a year and a half, two years to get an agent. And then the Giants were my first get TV gig. You know, back in 2016." So you look at it, and then when I walked in the, the, the cafeteria that day, Jerry Reese, the GM that brought me in, and John Mara, the owner, both walked up to me 
And we're like, Brandon, we heard you're back. Welcome back and all that. So one, how do y'all remember who I am? Two, that's a big deal for the owner and the GM to come up to you years later and, and be like, hey, what, 10 years, nine, 10 years later, and be like, hey, we heard you're back with the TV squad. Congratulations and all in, in, that, in that sense. And to still come back and still see guys like Zach Diossi, Vic was there, obviously, you know, Eli Manning and those guys to still be able to come back and see those type of guys. Man, it's Giants, they feel like it's, it feels like family, you know, when I'm in there. So, you know, I've had to scale back the amount I can do now because I work with the New York Post now and I'm doing their digital TV content with them, the SNY. So I got to scale back. But at the same time, you, you never, you realize you never burn bridges in life. You realize, even though, you know, I was on the practice squad, you can't look at yourself or your current situation and still not show up each day. Because if I showed up with an attitude or I wasn't showing personality around the locker room and people didn't like me, they weren't going to bring me in as a TV host or a digital TV host and all in that sense, you know? So it's just a lesson that it's a, it's a never ending lesson, a reoccurring lesson in my life to where it's like, you know, and I get that from my father to where it's like, you got to show, show class in and out. You know, you may be here, but always carry yourself like you're here because one day if you're doing what you're supposed to do. You're going to get there, but people are all, the people are good. The people are always going to remember you on the way up. And they're going to remember you on the way down as well. So, you know, there better be pleasant memories that people have with you. I just want to talk with Victor Cruz. I mean, you guys shared going from UMass to the Giants. I mean, how how cool is that from your perspective to say, hey, teammates in college, teammates in the NFL doing these things together as, like you said, your brother? Well, I didn't get to be his teammate in the NFL, but my first year with the Giants was the year he was coming back off that knee injury. And, you know, a lot of people – Obviously, when you're, you're a player and you're coming off of the injury, everyone's looking like, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? So when he came back, you know, anytime anyone comes off a knee injury, it takes a little bit to, to feel like, oh, I got it. I, I, you know, if I got it, if I don't. So he was coming along during, during camp and, you know, he could, people were giving him advice and saying, hey, your knee looks good. You look like this. Or if he messed up, you know, I'm sure people would be on him. But I would pull him to the side, and I just remember he got hit one time. Like, he cut – he made a cut. It was 11 on 11, so he made a cut. He got hit from behind, and he went down. And everybody was like – and he popped up, you know. And then after, when he was walking back, you know, to the locker room and all, I was sitting there talking to him. I, was, I go, you needed that hit, didn't you? He goes, you see that? His face he was like, you saw that? <laughs> you saw that? I was like, you needed that because you got hit. It was like, you, the way you popped up, it was like – that just gave you a different type of confidence in your knee because you was kind of non-contact until then. And he was like, he was like, that's the first thing that hit my, that, that, that I thought of when that happened, you know? So to be able to kind of like be like a voice to where it's like, bro, I know you, bro. Like I, I, I know what you're fighting through. Like I know your mindset when it comes to overcoming stuff, just like you had to overcome having to go to the Dean or whatever, you know, he had to leave UMass to go to the Juco and then go back. It's like you've overcome a lot already. So this is just another hurdle for you to go and be great on, you know? So it was, you know, it's, it was always good to be able to be there with him. And Julian Talley was there for a little bit. So it's like three UMass guys, you know, me, the older guy doing the TV stuff, but those two guys, you know, playing and stuff. I, it, it felt, 
I mean, it, it was one. It was a great experience that year to be around those guys. Speaking of another UMass teammate, Liam Cohen is now the offensive coordinator for Los Angeles Rams. Do you have any predictions for his success there? Um, and how cool is it to see your other teammates uh, continuing to succeed in their careers post-football playing career? Yeah, I feel like every time Liam gets a new job, I feel like, like T.O., like, just ready to cry. Like, that's my quarterback. Because that was my quarterback in college, man. And, like, his his true freshman year, when he was he came to school early during the summer, he stayed with me and J.J. Moore and Puffton in uh, Puffton Apartments and stuff. So, I, you know, I know Liam forever. I cried at his mom's fu- funeral, you know, when, when we went to her wake, we went to her wake, you know, as a team, we went down there because his dad, Liam, you know, they, you know, they've just, they've been during college, you know, they, they felt like family, you know, to a lot of us at that time. So, I mean, being able to watch his career, all these guys, whether it be Liam or, or any of them in, in business and in, in, uh, hospitality and tourism, whatever it is they're doing in this world, like you look at these guys and you're like, damn, man, I'm so proud of these kids. And, and like for Liam, being one of those young coaches, one of those young, brilliant football minds, I mean, you just feel cool that, you know, I've known this guy, like I've gotten to see you know, to see the, the progression of this guy in a sense. And it's not like we talk every day or anything. Like I might chat with him once, maybe once a year we might chat, you know, or something, but, you know, or through DMs or something like that. But at the end of the day, whether it's him, Woody, Scott Woodard, any of those guys, Charles Walker, all, any of those guys that are in the coaching field now. We're always looking and watching their careers and how they progress because, man, we're damn proud of those guys. When you were playing with him in college, do you think he would take these steps to kind of be where he is now on the coaching side of it? Yeah, because you know, he's a coach's son as well, man. You know, like for us, it's always there for us. You know, my dad still asks me sometimes, like, oh, you know, you want to coach? You know, I got a job for you. You know, you come on, you join the family legacy, you know, because my brother coaches receivers with him right now when the merit. You know, so I'm like, nah, nah, you got, you know, my, you know, my brother, Mike, he's doing it. You, you got that. But, you know, when you're a coach's son, that's what you know. You know, like I tell people I was drawing cover two at an age of cover two. You know, I, I mean, at the age of two, like I've been around football my entire life. So I imagine for him when he was done playing, he loved the game. You know, he was a student of the game. So for him, I, I think it was just a no brainer in that sense to where it's like this is kind of what I'm supposed to be doing. This is my calling in life If I when I can't play. So him being such a great football mind that he was and picking up on the game and all and, and, and just having the success he had as a player, it's no surprise he's having the success, the immediate – well, you can't even say immediate success because he's put in his, his, his 10,000 hours and he continues to put in his 10,000 hours. So it's no surprise that he's having the success that he's having it. You know, I wish him well. You know, I just I just want tickets. Just <laughs> Get the tickets. Yeah, man. I want to go. To, I want to go to that stadium too. That's the craziest stadium I've ever seen. Oh man, Sam, we, we, I went out there when the Giants played the uh, the Chargers this year. It's I mean, it's it's unreal. It the looks stadium. like a spaceship. It, it's it's yeah, it's 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 unreal. <laughs> one more one day, one day McGurk will look that nice. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully McGurk will look like that in the in the future. <laughs> but. Uh, one more question for you. We know you're a busy guy, but what's one thing that if you're incoming player, you're coming in to play for Don Brown, what's one thing that you think those players should know going in? You better be in shape and not just physically, mentally. You better be ready for it, man. He's, he's, a, he's a high energy coach. 
And if you're one of those just lethargic players to where it's like, uh, you know, just going about being just football, it's probably not the guy to play for in that sense, because even if he is showing energy and he's not necessarily yelling, he's, he's, he's not yelling like at you. He's yelling like to you in a sense, if you can't handle that, you're not mentally tough. You got to go. Or if you're one of those guys where, you always feel like you're being disrespected if someone raises your voice at, at you or whatever, then if you don't think you can get over that, then you should go. But if you can, that's the guy to play for because Don Brown is nothing but a microcosm of life. You're going to have a boss yell at you. You're going to have a supervisor yell at you or, or maybe yell to motivate you in a sense. And if you take that and you wilt because of that or you don't take it for what it is, a different type of motivation or inspiration, then you can't play for a guy like that. You know, you're always going to constantly think coach doesn't like me. Coach doesn't know why he's always yelling at He's yelling, yelling at him. No, he's trying to get your lazy butt to do what he knows you can do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it, it's a, uh, you got to be able to, you got to be able to, you can't be weak minded. You got to be able to reframe everything that's going on. Because again, he may yell, he may yell at you or yell to you, but I guarantee you after that practice or the next day, when he gets to you, your next interaction, he's going to build you right back up and more in that sense. So you just have to be, you just have to have the mental fortitude to be able to realize this is for the good of me, not the bad, you know? Yeah. I mean, players, players, listen to this. You got to take note of that. Brandon, it's been an honor. Thank you so much for coming on and talking to us today. This has been another episode of the UMass Football Show. Thank you to Sean for coming on again. And as always, take it easy.